Uh, this is Student Activist Radio. I'm your host, Kevin, with my co-host, Adam. Uh, we're coming back in the studio after an interview with uh, Justin Stein, uh, who uh, is the intercampus coordinator with the Peace Economy Project, as well as the student co-chair for Jobs with Justice. Uh, and we were talking about the student activist co- a conference, student conference that's going to be held on uh, April the 9th, um, uh, sponsored by the Student Activist Coalition of St. Louis. Uh, and it will be at the Regional Arts Commission. And if you want further information, uh, then uh, you can just search for Student Activist Coalition of St. Louis uh, at, in Facebook. And also, uh, of course, we post uh, a, a podcast of our show on stlactivisthub dot blogspot dot com and all of the information related to the conference will be in the show notes uh, for uh, you to see. And so, Adam, did you want to? I guess we started off talking a little bit about redistricting, mm, yeah. and that conversation was cut short. Um, uh, okay. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, so um, I guess what I was going to say about that is, it to me it seems like uh, John Deal's proposal was pretty heavily partisan and pretty heavily anti-urban area. So it, it seems to punish um, the St. Louis area by basically blocking off all the Democratic votes into one like completely uncompetitive district that Lacey Clay would probably win like 95 to 5% in, you know, which seems, you know, not especially Democratic. I like, you know, I, I vote for Lacey Clay, but <laughs> seems like you should have districts that have competitive races. And then the other St. Louis uh, parts of the St. Louis region um, are just kind of cut up really strangely where Jefferson County is cut in half um, and it seems to stretch out pretty far west um, where the city vote is quite diluted with Republican voting. And then also in the Kansas City area, it looks like Cleaver's um, district um, is a little bit diluted where, you know, um, they kind of stretched his area out into the the far eastern yeah. Netherlands, yeah. <laughs> Missouri. Yeah. Uh, so I don't know if they were trying to take out Cleaver or not. But, uh, but it just seems strange to me that, you know, that they would have a map that seems so heavily partisan. Um, you know, if you, I mean, if you look at the last election, which by all accounts, was a complete disaster for Democrats. But even that election, Robin Carnahan had 40% of the vote. Um, so the idea that Republicans would try to redistrict it so that it's a 7-1 or a 6-2 state where Republicans win and all the, you know, all the Democrats are crammed into one yeah. <laughs> district, uh, you know, it just seems like it's sort of anti-democracy. It's not really, it's not really representative of the views of the people um, and, and so his plans seem to be kind of going out of his way to, to you know, target uh, the people that he doesn't agree with. So, Well, and I guess the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, not to criticize them too much, because that's something that we've taken to doing oftentimes, <laughs> uh, both Adam and I. And they did write, a, or Jake Wagman, their political correspondent, did write an interesting story. And he sort of framed it in this sort of, Democrats are in a hopeless position, um, you know, framework where right. he talked about the advantage, you know, this map, you know, is really sponsored by the House Republicans 
and the state house Republicans and even, you know, the, the way that redistricting works, the map needs to receive the approval of both houses of the state legislature and yep. also the governor's signature. Yep. The governor can veto it and then it would be subject to an override. But at this point, uh, the Republicans do not have a supermajority. And so it would be more difficult for them to override a map. And, you know, as Wagman's piece mentioned, you know, redistricting is a very partisan affair. It would be very, very unusual for a Democrat, am I not, a Democrat to break ranks. There we are. Uh, um, I was talking away from the mic. Sorry about that. Um, A Democrat to break ranks um, and, uh, you know, support a Republican-sponsored map, especially one that's so bitterly, you know, partisan. In Missouri, President Obama received, uh, you know, maybe, you know, 7,000 votes less than John McCain. And so to think that the Republicans, you know, can divide the state into, a, at the very least, a 6-2 margin, but, you know, they probably are hoping for a 7-1 margin uh, for the mm. congressional delegation just seems so... You know, and you look at the map, there's one district that stretches from the state of Illinois all the way to the state of Kansas. So, you know, that can tell you how, and there's certain, you know, there's this idea that districts should be representing their communities. It should have a compactness to them. Well, clearly that district doesn't fit. So I think this is, um, you know, Democrats in Missouri, they have it pretty rough. You know, in the state house, they go there and they have to listen to like <laughs> discussions of should we ban Sharia law in Missouri and should we ban this and should we ban that and all these kinds of crazy things. I think this will be Democrats' opportunity to be the Wisconsin 14 because what happened in Wisconsin was basically all of the Democrats needed to show solidarity with each other in order to stop this massive power grab from scott walker um and of course even though it you know walker ended up passing the law without them there it's not entirely clear whether he legally did that and i i I still think there's a lot of hope for it ultimately not going into effect because of their courage and and even if uh even if the law does go into effect there's no doubt that they galvanized kind of a movement across the country so if any of those democrats had had caved in um you know, and sold out for campaign contributions or a promise of a future job at Coke Industries or (laughs) the Americans for Prosperity uh, legislative team, uh, then they would have lost, but they they stuck together. And similarly, you know, in the Missouri House of Representatives, they're three votes away from um, having a veto-proof majority, the Republicans are. Um, But this presents a great opportunity for Democrats to really, like, hang tough, you know, show solidarity, not sell out their principles and, you know, make sure to like hang tough and not let Republicans, you know, really subvert the the will of the Missouri voters by just gerrymandering everything to, for their liking. So yeah, uh, maybe, maybe overly dramatic uh, description, but, you know, I like to well, think of it in those terms where, you know, if, if the Democrats stick together and stand up against all this money and, you know, uh, corporate money that's going into supporting Republicans, uh, you know, I think you can think of that as heroic or as a, a very positive, noble thing uh, that they should be praised for. 
Yeah, and I think that there's a lot of emphasis on trying to be bipartisan and getting along just for the sake of doing so, almost. It's not, you know, we've just had this discussion where, you know, I don't think partisanship is encouraged in the American political system. And on the one hand, yes, I don't really like, you know, the banter of politics and the sort of vitriol that goes along with it and, and, you know, sort of the, well, and, and what I really don't like is this sort of inept sort of, you know, really silly arguments that enter into the political discussion. And I think, you know, just, just to talk about an event that happened this week that shouldn't get that much attention here, but the St. Louis Post-Dispatch spent I documented that, well, I didn't, but I copied and pasted an article that they wrote about Air Claire, mm-hmm. which is this, this, not only, you know, it, it's this silly thing that, of course, our listeners, um, you know, outside of the state of Missouri, uh, Claire McCaskill has a plane, surprisingly enough, and she uses it to fly around. And apparently, uh, you know, she did not pay property taxes on this plane. And uh, it's get, gotten her into a lot of hot water. Now, you know, I just did a Google search and searched uh, all of search John McCain prop back taxes. It turns out John McCain, of course, we know that he didn't pay back taxes. Then I decided, well, maybe closer to home. I wonder if there's an example of a Missouri senator who hasn't paid back taxes. So I just decided to Google Roy Blunt this time last year. Or this time two years ago, he had a tax. He illegally used a tax credit and a homesteading tax credit in D.C. and claimed his home in D.C. as his primary residence and had to pay thousands of dollars of taxes. Well, the St. Louis Post Dispatch wrote a thousand words on uh, Claire McCaskill's plane and, you know, put it in this context of, oh, well, she. She lost her mojo or something like that, and no St. Louis, no um, Missouri politician, you know, can can get off scot free with this, you know, plane. And she seems like she's aloof to voters for not paying her taxes. When in fact, Missouri, the plurality of Missouri voters supported John McCain, and Roy Bunt was elected in spite of the fact that they both had back taxes that they didn't pay, and that wasn't included at all in the coverage. And it sort of swept up uh, the the way that swept up the the um, you know news hole, if you will, for this past week in, in the Missouri political scene. Mm-hmm. And I guess in a roundabout way, you know, right now with with a lot of issues that are coming up, a lot of you know media coverage tries to downplay and discourage partisanship in terms of you know rewarding. Uh, politicians who try to be bipartisan and giving them coverage and, and, you know, viewing them as Jay Rosen says, the church of the savvy, those particular politicians are viewed as more savvy. The ones who can reach across the aisle and aren't seen as reflexively partisan. And yet, you know, what the media also sort of chooses to focus on in tandem with that is sort of if silly, you know, issues like air Claire which actually that's how the this is the the Republicans have framed this as Air Claire. She has this plane, so they call it Air Claire. And uh, you know, the Post Dispatch actually used that term in their article, which goes to show how 
you know, reliable they can be for fair and balanced coverage. But and they actually tagged the article Air Claire, oh. which was which really annoyed me. I, I I took a screenshot of the tag and I wasn't going to write about just that tag. You know, they 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 used Air Claire. Jake, of course, Jake Wagman, who's sort of infamous. I hate to pick on him because he's not. I think he is kind of like every political, you know, not quite a few political journalists and what he chooses to focus on. I think that's why he he uh, has been so successful in rising around through the mainstream media. Uh, and, and so he's not an anomaly. But nevertheless, you know, I think that, that Democrats, especially in Wisconsin, you know, took a very courageous act by hanging tough, standing together and it was covered in a way as sort of this partisan action. But Democrats, you know, in that case, were standing up for a principle that's long held, uh, you know, labor relations. And I think, you know, in the case of Missouri, a, a principle that's important is to have a fair process for, for political representation on the federal level in Congress. And for Democrats to stand up for that, you know, might seem unusual for someone who, uh, you know, might value bipartisanship more than, you know, standing up, you know, more than the sort of stand up for principle idea. But I think that it is important, even if they're not, even if it's not encouraged by the media or, you know, sort of our political culture to do something, you know, to take those types of actions. It's, it's interesting that you brought that up because um, there was a, a big, well, we'll see, we'll see how, uh, big of a scandal it is, but um, you know, I had complimented uh, Jake Wagman on my blog, uh, which I had been very critical of him, but I complimented him this week because he wrote uh, this weekend because he wrote um, an investigative piece on uh, Lieutenant Governor Peter Kinder, who spent um, like over 300 nights in St. Louis hotels on taxpayer dime uh, over the past uh, several years. Um, including for things like going to tea party rallies and going to baseball games um, that seem like they're not really, you know, the sort of official duties of uh, the lieutenant governor. Um, but anyways, um, one thing that I thought was fascinating was that, so th that Wagman story came out on Saturday, but people kind of knew that it was coming out the day before and Kinder actually released a statement um to the St. Louis Business Journal um, the day before, sort of preemptively trying to say, oh, well, everything I did was totally legitimate, that kind of thing. But what I found fascinating was that before the article even came out, uh, Mayor Slay um, tweeted, who's a Democrat, he tweeted, um, count me among the group who think it's a good thing that the lieutenant governor is staying here in St. Louis, you know, visiting our great city of St. Louis. And in the article, uh, Lewis Reed, the president of the Board of Aldermen, said the same thing, you know, like, oh, well, I think it's wonderful that he's spending time in St. Louis. And to me, this fits with kind of what you're talking about, where it fits with this idea of bipartisan, like, oh, you know, we're, we're bipartisan, and isn't it great that, you know, he's looking out for our city and all this kind of thing. But in my mind, it's just such a short-sighted approach for these politicians to be taking this because, you know, they definitely like the fact that Kinder kind of, uh, you know, goes to their parties and slaps them on the back and, like, panders to St. Louis in a way that's kind of rare among Republicans. Um, so 
you could understand why St. Louis officials would, would kind of like that. But at the same time, if you look at what this guy's policies would be, if he was in office now or if he gets a, a elected, he would basically, you know, initiate processes that would devastate the people of St. Louis. You know, he's, uh, you know, he's against or he's for right to work. You know, uh, he would he would um, try to cripple unions if he was in office. He would um, he's uh, received over a hundred thousand dollar donation from Rex Sinkfeld this past week. Did you see that? Oh, really? Yes. Yeah. yeah in yeah. one, you know, in one, one fell week. swoop, yeah. uh, Rex Sinkfeld donated a hundred thousand. So presumably he would go along with Rex's plans, which, as we know, include this radical tax plan that would eliminate all income tax and change it all to sales tax, which would harm the people um, at the you know lower income levels more than anyone else. So so anyways, to me, it's just this, it's it's very short sighted for them to before the article even comes out, the mayor is already defending this Republican lieutenant governor. And I'm sure it's, you know, with this idea of being, you know, part of the savvy yeah. You know, bipartisan people who sticks up for his buddy who shows up in St. Louis. But he, you know, he's he's ignoring the entire issue, which is whether Kinder was appropriately using taxpayer money or not. Um, so I don't know. I just thought that was an interesting example of yeah. of Democrats who who take this sort of bipartisan for its own sake stance uh, and really end up hurting their constituents, I think, uh, I- as a result of that. And I think the other thing that we talked about is that the way the media functions is that they won't, if one, if Mayor, I, my guess is that now that Mayor Slay and some other top Democrats have said, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal, the heat will be off Kinder and, and the story will get less attention right. than it normally would. With Claire McCaskill, yeah. the Republicans pump that and they just, this is a really big thing and we're going to, it wasn't, you know. She had a plane. So what? You know, she's not. If you take a look at the wealth, the the members of Congress, there's people in there who have, you know, hundreds of millions. John Kerry almost has a billion dollars. Didn't stop people from voting for him. And he has yachts and planes and things like that. But they were making an issue about, oh, she has this plane. And the Republicans really put their muscle behind it. Now that the Democrats, as Mayor Slea said, oh, well, actually, this is a good thing, then Wagman will likely say, well, this, okay, both Democrats don't care about this issue. Yeah. You know, even the Democratic Party, what do they care? You know, if they they think it's not a big deal, then why should I continue writing about it? Right. Exactly. (laughs) And that's how, yeah. And that's how this sort of centrist Democrat idea can like undermine, you know, things that they, I mean, he's it's stacking the deck against Democrats because, you know, Claire McCaskill has the similar scandal and she gets hammered and yeah. then Peter Kinder will see what happens. But, you know, it's it, I I hadn't even thought about this until you said it. But, yeah, it seems like that might really take the air out of any future criticisms is the fact that the Slay has Slay. And know. I mean, unless unless I mean, Kinder wants to run for governor. So unless. Nixon's people, the governor, uh, Jay Nixon's staff so makes a big deal about it and, ho- you know, not hopefully, but if they are savvy, I'm sure they will try to try to play up the scandal. Uh, and, and yeah. in that event, I could, 
I could, you know, not in, not necessarily in the case of the Post-Dispatch, but with other news outlets, I could see them continuing the story. Yeah. Post-Dispatch, unfortunately, I, I don't think, I think once Slay says this is good, then they tend to, <laughs> for right. whatever he is reason. There, he is there the entirety of their liberal, yeah. quote-unquote, <laughs> representation at further the post than him. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> He speaks for all of the... Yeah, on a downtrodden. Speaking of this sort of, what Glenn Greenwald has a great word for it. I can't figure out this word. Speaking of this, just sort of petty type of political journalism. I saw this person, um, Jean Lemke, or what's her name, uh, at the Riverfront Times. Sarah, oh, Sarah, Sarah Fensky. Fensky. Sarah Fensky. I'm sorry for totally getting that name wrong. Sarah Fensky at the Post-Dispatch, or at the Riverfront Times, my goodness. Uh, she wrote a blog about this sort of scam, this this plain thing with uh, um, Senator Claire McCaskill. And she wrote a blog about a Craigslist posting. Somebody made a joke post on Craigslist and said, uh, Claire McCaskill said, I'm going to sell the damn plane. And so the media, for some strange reason, just like ran wild with that quote. And that was like everything, you know, that was like the headline. So somebody wrote a sort of uh, Craigslist post and said, sell the, or it was like title, the damn plane. And then it had like Claire McCaskill's plane and, and they were, they were auctioning it for like, you know, $250,000 or something. So then, uh, Sarah Fensky wrote a post about this on uh, on Riverfront Times blog, and I was really upset with this post because, to me, this is just not this is not news. This is not something that should be, you know, not to say that we shouldn't have freedom of speech, but anybody could have posted that, you know, for all we know, Ed Martin's staffer could have posted that on Craigslist. So anyone could do it, and so if you write about it and give the scandal more attention, you're just giving the scandal needless attention, and there's no substance added to it. As Adam put it very well in his post, most of the whole scandal around uh, Claire McCaskill had no new information. They'd just write an article, and it'd be like, somebody put a Craigslist post up. It had nothing to do with, the, you know, she. to me, she paid the taxes. They found out the back taxes. She paid the taxes. She said she was going to sell the plane. There's no more story. Yeah, but it'd, be yet, like, it'd be like Monday, Claire McCaskill mailed a check. Tuesday, yeah. post office says it's on route. Yeah, exactly. Wednesday, check yeah. is received. You know? Yeah, it's like, like what's the story? And yet somehow it was the, in the media. They had written long articles, I don't know how, of about this story. And by the way, this received national coverage, like NPR. I should not listen to this. It, I'm on my masochistic streak when I listen to this NPR political podcast. And they talked about it, and they were like, another wound. They basically said that Claire McCaskill was a wounded politician. And I couldn't quite understand. I mean, yes, I think that, you know, the property tax issue looks bad, but I don't you know, really understand how, you know, because of the multitude of politicians who have this problem, it just doesn't seem, you know, it just seems like in politics, it's hard to keep your personal finances, you know, and your your personal life in general and your political life from getting too entangled and taking over. We just, you know, Geraldine Ferraro, this is sort of totally 
you know, but Geraldine Ferraro, who just passed away, one of the problems with her candidacy for vice president was her husband refused to release his tax forms. And this was a huge issue, you know, and so this is not, you know, this, and, and, and when she, when her husband released his tax forms, there were, you know, certain you know, he never he didn't break the law, but there were things that the media focused on. But this is a new this is not new. You know, voters, I think, are pretty accustomed to politicians making mistakes on their tax forms. And in Claire McCaskill's case, it just she didn't benefit. There was no allegation that somehow she benefited or somehow there was a scandal or somehow some law was broken. You know, she paid her taxes late. You know, that, yes, she shouldn't have done that. Yes, that's a mistake. It should receive some coverage. But, you know, the fact that it received a week's worth of headlines and the Post-Dispatch and all of this stuff just, to me, is an embarrassment to the political journalism, especially since you cannot bring them to cover a 4,000-person rally that's attended, you know, and you can't bring them to contextualized progressive activism. We talked about more uh, interrupting um you know, CEOs that had gathered here in St. Louis to protest Bank of America's egregious policies with foreclosures. When they report on that, they can't even contextualize it. But yet right. they can spend all this time on the fact that Claire McCaskill had a plane, you know, and somehow the taxes didn't get paid, you know. Yeah. And I mean, I don't necessarily object to them spending a week on that. I mean, I don't think it's as I've said, and as you said, I don't think they added much new information. But I guess if you if you take into account, okay, well, they're not only for news; they're also trying to make a profit and yeah. trying, you know, there's some schlocky entertainment component that has to go into modern journalism in order to, you know, pay the bills or whatever. Fine, um, as long as it's administered fairly among the different parties but yeah. I, you know in my experience that hasn't been the case and i you know i think kevin was sort of alluding to this when he was talking about the more incident well you know you'd think people interrupting a, a banquet of the st most 100 influential st louisans or whatever that has a lot of tabloid value yeah. you know it has a lot of shock value um and yet there was nothing but lazy reporting on that um and similarly i think you know if you look at ed martin's history there's plenty of long form yeah. stories you could write about diving into all the details about that. But Jake Wagman uh, and the post dispatch pretty much refused to cover uh, most of the sordid details of, of Ed Martin's career. In fact, you know, Jake Wagman has, even, you know, I heard he was sort of directly refused to ask him any of the questions about um, the priest. Uh, yeah. Scandal. So, so they, I mean, so there's just sort of a double standard where I could understand if you if you cover Claire McCaskill that way, if you cover everyone that way, but uh, I haven't haven't seen that to be the case. What is it? Well, on just one point about Claire McCaskill, and then I actually want to talk about Ed Martin for a second. The uh, whole, according to NPR, what they said is Claire has Senator McCaskill has adopted this quote, holier-than-thou attitude. And that makes her particularly susceptible to these types of things hmm. in terms of, I think, when Tom Dashwood had his whole tax scandal, you know, 
and all the, I think Tim Timothy Geithner as well had the same. You know, it's so commonplace in politics. I'm surprised that they spend this much time covering this. But anyway, Timothy Geithner didn't pay his taxes, and so there was this whole scandal. And Claire McCaskill, according to NPR, was out in force saying, "Oh, this is such a bad thing." Now I don't really remember her being at the center of attention. In fact. I speaking of this whole sort of centrist bipartisan Democrat, I remember the Republicans making a big deal about this and Claire McCaskill sort of adding to the chorus and saying, I'm a Democrat. And even I think this is such a bad thing and trying to burnish her bipartisan credentials and get press attention with the media, which the media loves to to say, oh, both Democrats and Republicans think that uh, Tom Daschle did something wrong and then they can really (laughs) – Tarum. So that's the dynamic that I thought was at play. I don't necessarily think that she just has, you know, to me, when I think of holier than thou, I sort of think of maybe your, your purists, like your Ron Pauls and your, you know, Russ Feingold's and people like that who are really, really principled. And not to say that that's not necessarily Claire McCaskill, but I've, I've always thought she's much more savvy and much more, you know, not, well, I wouldn't use the word savvy, but she's much better. She, I wouldn't consider her to be the, the type of holier than thou. I would consider her to be a political player and a, and a sort of an insider. And I think the media is, a, and I think most people are kind of aware of that image and the, the media is aware of that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. Um, so speaking of Claire McCaskill, um, one of her, one of the declared people who's uh, trying to run against her, running in the, uh, Republican primary against her um, is Ed Martin, and I remember <laughs> <talk about> this. <laughs> last year, uh, about a week or a couple weeks, or not that long before the November election, the Riverfront Times decided to do a nice feature story about what a maverick you know Ed Martin yeah. was, and they 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 dug in a little. I mean, they looked at some things, but for the most part did their typical routine of sort of explaining how he, you know, was a hard worker and he's yeah. controversial and, but he stands by what he believes in, blah, 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 like all the stuff that basically humanizes. I mean, yes, if you yeah, tell exactly. some story where you give all the like personal details about what a hard scrabble life someone had or whatever, you know, you're giving, you're ultimately projecting a positive image of the, that person. So, so I was pretty sure that, you know, we don't need any more stories like that. <laughs> Kevin, you seem to be suggesting that maybe there's another there there's another profile. There is. Lines. Well, you know, you hit the nail on the head when you said humanizing. There is a story that's post that is published by the St. Louis magazine. Unfortunately, it's not on their website. It's only in their uh, March to April issue. Right. Um, and. I just so happened to I just so happened to pick up the magazine and I didn't even I was just flipping through reading it and I saw this article titled The Ed Show and it was written I cannot recall the journalist's uh name at the moment I can't recall her name uh but um she posted an article that was very you know much in this frame of Ed Martin this controversial, hardworking, smart family man. In fact, interspersed through the story, the story sort of, you know, there was this sort of secondary narrative running through where the journalists came to Ed Martin's house and Ed Martin's daughter was there. 
and he was playing with his daughter and she was making grammatical errors and she was correcting her and oh how cute and he's a family man and blah 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 blah. And you know, sort of that whole thing comes in, and it did. We sound so grouchy, don't yeah, we? We like, do. Like right? Scrooge. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. Well, if you, if you, but it's the problem is the reason. I guess the reason why, just having lived through the Ed Martin Russ Carnahan race and all of the antics that Ed Martin had, it was just you know just to watch this. It was seemed just so upsetting to me it was a very upsetting piece to read because it wasn't i just felt it was unfair and i felt that it was too deferential to ed martin and he must have some sort of charisma because these the journalists really like him i mean it just she she definitely had a very positive view of him she covered i mean it did talk about his time as um the human rights court the human rights director for the st louis archdiocese and they had the he apparently he fired and fired several employees, but they did interview one of the employees who he fired, who had a very negative, who talked about how he eliminated the race, uh, he he eliminated um, the sort of uh, emphasis on on outreach in the African American community. Uh, he uh, eliminated the way Ed Martin put it. He said, "We're doing kumbaya stuff, and we don't need to be doing that. We need to focus on abortion rights or something." Oh, yeah. uh, and in fact, um, there was a longtime African American nun, uh, one of the first uh, in the Roman Catholic uh, Church in St. Louis, who actually Ed Martin apparently was on good terms with, but refused to endorse him in his campaign. Her name is, I think, Anna Ebo. Anna Ebo. I watched a documentary about her, so I'm really surprised I can't even re- I remember her name. Uh, but she was one of the f- the first nuns, and Ed Martin sort of used her to say, oh, yes, I don't have any, you know, I'm very, you know, he grew up in New Jersey. It started out talking about how Ed Martin grew up in New Jersey and had to, when he went to high school, he had to take the train to Newark. And this was his first experience seeing African-Americans. And this was like, oh, there's, you know, it's, he just had so much compassion and sympathy and that's why he wanted to become a priest or something. That was sort of the, the, the article take and this this nun was sort of a part of that according to ed martin he like mm. reached out to her purposely because she was black and uh you know then it the article sort of squeezed in oh well she doesn't actually like his candidacy and she refused to endorse him <laughs> uh but you know but that was sort of squeezed in but nevertheless i mean i think adam you you Really, the article was a very humanizing, and just the fact that we're sitting here talking about it, personalizing, per- personalizing. Yeah. I think it, you know, I think it made him. Ed Martin, to me, I think we've described him as a used car salesman before, and I think that he does have that demeanor. You know, he's a very, he talks very fast. He's very sort of, he has this, he does have a charisma about him, and he's very good at handling crowds and sort of you know, very diplomatic and responding to every concern that you have and so on and so forth. It's very much like he's trying to sell you something and you don't want, you know, it's probably bad, but <laughs> you know, he makes it sound so good that, uh-huh. that maybe you'll buy it. And yeah. it sort of changes that demeanor. You didn't know Ed Martin had a daughter. You didn't know he went to Rome and he met with, he had breakfast with the Pope every day. And the, there was this whole thing about how the the Pope pronounced Ed Martin's name Martin the way that the French do, and 
blah, blah, blah. Just uh, all of this stuff that, yeah. that go went into the article. <laughs> I mean, okay, so so Ed Martin, right, he's charismatic, you know, he's he's like super extroverted, right? He's a talker. And um and I can see how that's a good thing in politics, you know, like you know, it's it's a helpful quality to have because that's what people respond to. Um, but at the same time, I feel like it's easy to get sucked into that as journalists. Um, you know, it's easy to sort of overemphasize that quality when what you should be emphasizing is the sort of policies and the positions and whether he's really as ethical as he sounds when he's like talking to you. Um, and so I just, you know, so I think with Ed Martin, you know, he's just got this personality where the media likes to, you know, run feature length stories on him because he's Mr. Hurtaki. Um, but in the end, it's not really, it's easy to personalize anyone, you know, any, you know, any normal human being, if you talk about, oh, they did this with their mom and they did this with their dad or they did this with their brother, <laughs> you know, everyone's got these sort of qualities for the most part. Um, and so it's easy to kind of write that story. And so I feel like it's, e it's easy for the media to get sucked into, you know, writing these overly sappy stories about Ed Martin and not writing similar stories about Russ Carnahan or about Claire McCaskill. Cause they don't have that. I don't know. Whatever. Why? Why? Uh, but Claire McCaskill, she's, she's pretty interesting. Who knows? Maybe she has been, in, uh, St. Louis. I Mike. don't know. We, well, I, th I do think she, you know, I do think, I guess women in politics have, she, to me, she does come across as a very, you know, she comes across as savvy and sort of, I don't, I hate to say this, but she comes across as very ambitious. And I don't know if that's just because she's a woman, if that's the reason why I think that, but I could, I definitely, my guess is I'm sure that Jake Wagman feels that she comes across as very ambitious. And so it's sort of harder to, whereas Ed Martin is, you know, Ed, uh, I think Ed Martin does come across as he is ambitious, but he's not very good at winning elections. Uh, so, you know, maybe that's why you know, not only is Claire McCaskill ambitious, but she's also very good at winning elections. So yeah. uh, maybe that's why, why the media doesn't write stories like that about her. But she's, you know, I, I know that Russ Carnahan just has a different personality. He's more issue orientated and more sort of in the weeds and very detailed. I mean, when we interviewed him, you know, he knew a lot about the details of the legislation. You can tell, you know, sometimes you interview, you talk to politicians and they don't really know about the issues. They don't really, they're, they're great at talking and they're great at backslapping and kissing babies and complimenting your <laughs> dad's new tie or something like that. But Russ, they're not good at the issues. And Russ Carnahan is very was very good at he knew the details of the stimulus. He had passion on the environment. It was clear that he had that. And I think the media doesn't there's two one thing that you brought up is that I think that if you told the author of that St. Louis magazine piece, my guess would be that they wouldn't have a they wouldn't say, Oh, that's a that's a bad thing. The fact that we fall for a charisma of a politician is a bad thing because they'll say, well, voters fall for that. And so that's what makes a politician yeah. good and, and be able to win. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we don't, you know, fall for the wonkish sort of, 
Russ Carnahan types, well, voters don't like those people. They're too nerdy. They need voters like people who know of, about, you know, can throw the opening pitch at the baseball game and can compliment dad's tie and, you know. Jump a car with a motorcycle. Yeah, exactly. Have a Sit down and have a beer and clear brush like George Bush. Yeah. That's what voters like. <laughs> I don't know how they come up with this, but this is... But I, my feeling is if you really talk to a candidly a journalist, they probably wouldn't be embarrassed by the fact that they, they like Ed Martin so much because they'd say, well, you know, there's this, this thought that, well, he's, this is real America. I mean, that, was, that did come across in the story that Ed Martin is, you know, this sort of, you know, real, you know, he's this real American, right. just American guy with his American <laughs> family and you know, with this traditional values and, you know, blah, 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 you know? Uh-huh. So. Yeah. Well, I, uh, after 10 minutes straight on Ed Martin, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we obviously, uh, uh, our, our opinions on him are, are, are quite evident, I think, but, um, yeah, but I mean, uh, right. So it, it makes sense that, um, I think, you know, obviously that's what charisma is, is that people, certain people are drawn to it. But I, I just feel like journalists have kind of a duty to yeah. um, to go a little bit beyond that and not uh, just sort of pander to the least common denominator. And, and as Kevin says, you know, use it as an excuse like, oh, well, you know, other people think he's real America. So why can't we write that? Um, so. <laughs> Well, I don't know. Is there anything else uh, we should cover? Or, uh... I think I think we're pretty set uh, for this week. Okay. Uh, so yeah, we we discussed. Um, you know, we had our interview earlier in the show for the listeners that might not have uh, tuned in at that point with Justin uh, Stein, uh, who is the intercampus coordinator at the Peace Economy Project, as well as student co-chair for Jobs with Justice. We talked about the student activists coalition conference that will be held on Saturday, April 9th throughout the day at the Regional Arts Commission. And as he said, it's free and you will be fed. Uh, but <laughs> nevertheless, there will be a, a plethora of, uh, you know, events taking place and, and um, workshops and, and uh, you know, other activists and new faces uh, that will be there. And it will be, I, I think it will be a great experience. Both Adam and I, for full disclosure, I am involved. I'm on the planning committee. Uh, so for full disclosure, uh, and Adam um, uh, is running one of the workshops. He'll be facilitating one. So for full- And we're making huge amounts of money. We are. <laughs> just oh, to actually. let our Twitter, Twitter uh, to, just to let Tukey <laughs> know no. we were making lots of money. Oh, yeah. Soros is directly saying, <laughs> yeah. no, actually, like everything on the left, we're making no money whatsoever. <laughs> exactly. Uh, just doing it out of our... <laughs> goodness of our yes. guided hearts so and uh, we talked about redistricting and also talked about the media and ed martin um and those things we'll, we'll just probably be talking about that for many for for other times to come uh and so yes i guess we can close out the show yep and uh so make sure uh you check it out um uh, on the blog stlactivisthub.blogspot.com um, we'll have all the details about Kevin's, or I'm sorry, about Justin, um, the conference that Justin was talking about. We'll have links there. Um, and uh, you can follow um, STL Activist Hub 
on Twitter as well as activist underscore radio on Twitter, um, Kevin's new uh, account. So, uh, so check it out. And uh, yeah, we'll talk to you next week.